I'm joined by a very special guest, Charles Morris. Charles is a fellow Microsoftie and is currently Director of Global Learning and Development, where he's helping to bring meditation and mindfulness into Microsoft life. I was introduced to Charles through his pilot meditation program called Mindful Growth. It was a great program. Every Friday for eight weeks, we met for three hours to learn about how the brain works, emotions, being present, meditation, etc. In addition to homework of additional meditations every week. I mean this very seriously when I say that I'm a different person now than I was at the beginning of this program. I'm clearer-headed, slower to anger, less likely to feel anxiety and panic attacks that have been with me my whole life. I'm better able to make decisions and just generally a better dad. This one falls into that intersection of being a better father, husband, and man, and I truly feel that adding meditation to my life has helped me do all three. I flipped the content around on this one a bit. So we lead off with an introduction to what meditation is and why it's valuable for anyone new or skeptical about meditation. We also talk about different apps that can help you get started as there are a ton of great ones out there. And then Charles gets into how he came to meditation while working on the software development side of Microsoft and what led him both to create the Mindful Growth Program and to take a pretty serious career move of shifting over to HR to spend focused time on this effort. It's worth noting that the Mindful Growth name comes in part from the concept of growth mindset. You may be familiar with the book by Carol Dweck. The concept is being taken very seriously inside Microsoft and is worth the read if you haven't already checked it out, both for your work life and for raising kids. Anyway, Charles is a father of two young girls himself, so he talks about that part that meditation plays in his family and also how he and his family stay mindful and how they think about technology usage, etc. I really can't thank Charles enough both for the Mindful Growth Program itself that has such an impact on me and my family, and for taking time out of his busy life, he was actually at home in the middle of a move when we spoke. I really hope you enjoy this discussion with Charles Morris. Charles Morris. Uh, Charles has the uh, distinct honor, I, I guess, of being my first kind of twofer of a dad and an expert in an area that um, I've become really interested in. And Charles would probably hate me saying he's my guru. It probably would suck, but uh, that's kind of how I think of him because he turned me on to meditation in a lot of ways. And we could talk about it in this conversation really kind of changed my life and my family's life in a lot of ways. So um, Charles uh, is a fellow Microsoftie and I learned about meditation and Charles through his program, Mindful Growth. Um, and he, you know, came in not doing meditation as a job and, and has gotten into that. So um, let's go ahead and kick it off. Charles, welcome. Thanks a lot, Scott. And yeah, that that both makes me slightly uncomfortable as well as a huge is a huge compliment. So uh, it can be both. Perfect. Yeah. Can, can we set the stage a little bit on what is meditation? And I love the way that you approach it also from a scientific background. Like, what yeah. is it? How do you do it very broadly? And like, why is this good for you? Mm. You know, honestly, the way I talk about it kind of depends uh, can, uh, contextually on who I'm talking to. And I, so maybe I'll go through a few different ways that I, I found that, that resonate with people. Okay. And, and they're, of course, are all interconnected. Um, you know, one is the analogy with physical exercise, because I think, yeah, like all analogies, it's not perfect, but I think it people get it. Um, uh, you know, in in the mindful growth program, I play that clip of Dan Harris. I don't know if you remember this. He's, he's a famous news anchor who's become a med meditation advocate. And he says something in the video, like, you know, just like physical exercise or like 
I think he says in the 1950s or something, yeah. if someone, if you told someone you're going for a run, they'd ask you what, who's chasing you as opposed to now where we get like, whether or not we actually do it, we at least know that physical exercise is good for us. And we know that there's long-term short and long-term benefits. Um, and I would say meditation has a lot of, um, a lot of parallels to physical exercise. It's kind of like mental exercise. So there's like a training aspect to it where, and this is where it's very easy to actually just take a slight veer off into the world of neuroscience where um, research studies now for decades are strongly suggesting that through this training, we can talk about what that exactly is happening in, in that training, but essentially what's happening is you are, um, rewiring your brain is kind of the the easy way to think about it um, but this is all built on this concept of neuroplasticity uh, which is is basically scientific fact at this point which is the idea that our brains are constantly changing um, and so of course we have you know we'll talk about parenting soon we have these kids at these young ages where their brains are changing incredibly quickly right. um, but instead of feeling like, okay, that stops at, I don't know, 17, 18, 20, whatever you want to think. Yeah, sure, it slows down, but um, it's it continues throughout life. Um, you know, famous study is, uh, it's often quoted, is um, a study with London cabbies who had a larger section of the brain called the hippocampus, which is associated with memory because this was pre-GPS, this study was done. And so they actually had to memorize all the one-way streets and so forth. Um, but just over and over, people have shown, even in as little as eight weeks with a meditation program, um, both what they call uh, structural, so actually growth in uh, thickness, of course, microscopic, you know, you, your brain's right. not going to pop your skull, um, <laughs> as well as uh, what they call functional. So pathways that are maybe um, already there in your brain, but actually get strengthened. And so neuroplasticity, plasticity, part of it is that your brain is changing, but the more important part is the way it changes is actually very intuitive to me. It's the same way your body changes is it's through use, yeah. right? So if you really work out your arms a lot, guess what? They're going to get stronger. Similarly, if you familiar, familiarize yourself with a certain way of thinking, a certain way of being, then that let's say in meditation then those pathways are actually getting strengthened if through that um you know and change making changes in your in your life and so forth old ways of thinking and being are used less those pathways actually start to die off because it turns out that our brains are actually incredibly efficient um, on, on one hand they consume an amazing amount of our um, glucose and energy but ultimately for everything it has to do it's it's trying to be super efficient um and so you know when you put all of that together it's like okay it, it, you start to see how it's a really powerful um in a, a tool for for inner for personal change um in terms of how it works specifically um it's it's really you know i talked about the meditation object not everyone uses this term but um, to me, it's kind of the, the most generic because, as you know, there's many different types of objects. It could be the breath, it could be the body, it could be many things. To me, the, the essence of 
meditation, and I use a, a similar definition in the program that from a scientific paper, as you saw, um, is the process of familiarizing yourself with certain mental processes, which just follows with what I just said around what's actually happening in the brain. So we're actually spending time strengthening a certain way of being, a certain way of, of thinking through trying to just remain with that state as long as we can. And what inevitably happens, as you know, is that we get pulled away, something, something other than the meditation object. It could be what's for dinner tonight. It could be replaying something um, that happened today. It could be planning for the future. It could be a feeling. Um, depending on what our, ob sometimes our object of meditation is what we're feeling right now, but assuming that it's not, we are our job at that point, and that really the essence of mindfulness is letting go and coming back. I mean, that's that's just it over and over. And so through that, we basically familiar, familiarize ourselves with whatever it is. And, and, you know, as hopefully we'll get to talk about a little bit, part of my personal mission as I come into this space of mindfulness, especially in, in work and other kind of secular environments is, is to make sure people appreciate the full breadth what this means because I think in popular culture it gets a lot of credit for like stress relief and focus right. and stuff like that which is absolutely true um, but I'm a huge believer that its power goes well beyond that into um, you know developing personal qualities like empathy and compassion and so forth many many others confidence um, so yeah that's the essence of of how I talk about meditation maybe one last thought um, about what I like to talk about is just the the speed of modern life, and you know I feel like maybe they said they've said this throughout time, and it's always been true, but it, it certainly feels especially true right now with you know especially I think in in America and kind of corporate life. Uh, it doesn't have to be corporate though. I, I think in general there's this feeling with. Um, you know, work, families, the the technology at our fingertips, which is amazing, but also um, doesn't give us a moment to rest, right? Like if you think about what people did when, before we had smartphones, I know it's like hard to imagine. My, I have to convince my kids that there was a world before smartphones. But like, yeah, it was just before you were born, actually, not that long ago. Yeah. Um, you know, we had had whether we realized it or not we had these little breaks like we would go stand in line for coffee or we'd go to the restroom or you know whatever and and we would actually have some time to just be um whereas now it's like well what do you do if you're in line for coffee you know if you go, go to the airport or something you just see everyone on their phone they're, they're like oh it's time i can i can catch up on email or text messages or facebook or whatever and so there's just this, you know, and it leads to some of the stuff you talked about, you know, hard to wind back down um, at the end of the day, what have you, you know, there's this unending go, like just on being on the go constantly. And so I think part of the reason why meditation, you know, as you know, it's been around for thousands of years, but why it's becoming in particular, particularly powerful and being arising into more broad consciousness right now as, as kind of almost like a counterbalance to that whole trend. That's interesting. Yeah. So to come back to kind of meditation broadly, some of the things that I run into when I talk about meditation are sort of misconceptions that people have about it. 
uh, you know, I'm sure there's some cliched ones that you can rattle off, but like, you know, what are some of the things that you run into a lot of people are like, oh, meditation is this, and you have to kind of pop that bubble. Yeah, a great question. Um, I think probably the the biggest one is that if I'm not totally in a space of Zen and like feeling like I'm going to float away, then therefore I have not had a successful meditation. You know, I think people, um, you know, it, it's funny because on the outside, if you look at, at a room full of people meditating, it's like, oh, wow, everyone is, is looks so peaceful. But it's not an external exercise. It's an internal exercise. Probably everyone in that room, to a certain extent, is feeling that tug of, of like being drawn away. Um, and so that's probably the biggest one I try to help people with, understanding that don't expect perfection right away. Um, in fact, having an amazing meditation where you just feel like totally transformed can be actually an obstacle because then you try to replicate that experience, you know, for mm. the next X amount of time. Um, but just to be a lot more pragmatic and then say like, okay, is do your best and like, do you feel different? If you took take a look at where you felt before, how you felt before and after, is there a shift? And be really gentle in that assessment. Like it doesn't have to be huge. Um, and then also just to, to measure that effect over time. It's not this linear process. Um, so that's one. I think the second is probably that um, meditation is just like blanking out your mind. Um, yeah. And yeah. so this gets back to kind of the idea of having meditation objects. Actually, the, um, I don't teach any meditation actually that's blanking out the mind. I teach meditation that's on the breath, the body. Um, even the, the, the feeling of having uh, a very broad awareness can feel a little bit like blanking out, but it's actually there's a specific goal, which is to feel this boundarylessness. If, if you remember that meditation from the program. Um, so that's number two. Um, what else? Yeah, One I mean, of the I things I run into is like, oh, do you have to become a Buddhist? <laughs> meditation right I, yeah. i'm oversimplifying but you yeah. know can you talk a little bit about that like kind of where it comes from and where people might be getting that impression and yeah well yeah it, it's totally that's a great question because it it points at an important underlying point that often doesn't get either gets unaddressed or is kind of swept under the wrong or rug or like addressed um kind of ambiguously and so i like to be super upfront as you know as possible which is Yes, no, no one is debating that the roots of these practices are in the spiritual realm, in particular in, in Buddhist philosophy and practice. Um, but undoubtedly, what has happened over uh, really the past uh, close to 40 years now, you know, there's a fellow called John Kabat-Zinn, who's one of you know, a few people who are credited with really this whole movement he created a program called Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, or MBSR. Um, he really took what, so he went to India after coming out of grad school, came back and saw the power of this in hospitals to help people deal with pain. And he really kicked off a lot of the research, um, you know, this is in the early 80s, um, that now, and a lot of the language also, you know, he took the teaching and, and he basically said, you know, I'm going to make the language very secular. I'm going to take the pieces that are um, that can be verified by science, you know, mm -hmm. that uh, that that are 
um, beyond the spiritual realm and that, that are that are suitable for the secular realm. And through that, and of course, that's evolved over the years. Um, but through that has has emerged a very um, big, powerful secular mindfulness movement that is absolutely there. You know, there's no it's so yes, there's roots, but it is yeah. on the other hand, it's quite separate. And 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 that's not to say that there's no debates that go back and forth. There's um, there's a, a group of uh, professors who created the term mech mindfulness, who um, which is a valid concern. They they are sitting more, they're like Buddhist uh, scholars, historians, and they are concerned that through taking it out of the spiritual realm, that it's becoming commercialized, becoming watered down, kind of becoming a, a, um, a mockery in some ways of its original intent. Um, but I think to me, that's just a healthy debate. Like, I think it's really, yeah, there's, there's definitely danger in, um, in overselling what they can do or um, promising it as a quick fix, you know, that kind of thing. But I also think there's just amazing power in taking it out of um, the Buddhist realm because it, it will, it, it's able to be presented in places like the workplace or at hospitals or at schools um, where, you know, spiritual teachings just aren't appropriate because they're, they're meant to be um, secular environments where people of all spiritual backgrounds um, can play. And, and not only that, it's been great for me, last note on this question is, is to, through the program at work, meet a lot of people who are like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian or I have this other background, but I can totally take what you're saying and, and it can jive with, you know, my, my personal spiritual practice or it even helps it in some way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it doesn't have to be one or the other. It can be both. It can be neither. You know, there's, there's a lot of flexibility there. That's interesting. Yeah. As you're talking about, it, it's like, Yoga is kind of an interesting analogy for that too, right? Something that came from that background, but then turned into, you know, hot yoga and this kind of yoga, yeah. and, you know, the strip mall yoga and whatever, right? Without necessarily yeah. knowing where I came from. The religious thing is interesting too. And I'd actually meant to talk to you about this. I, I, I thought a lot about prayer as I was doing meditation. Mm. My family's Christian. My, my mother-in-law was like as Catholic as it's possible to be and not be a nun, right? And so I, I always think about things like the rosary or some of these other sort of practices that almost are meditations in a way yeah. so, like tapping into that same kind of thing have you have you looked into something I, this okay. is my assumption that there's something hit there but i'm sure people have done more thinking on this oh hugely yeah i mean i don't, I don't know how much it's been a a part of the broader discussion uh, but it certainly has been very relevant for me um so just share about a little bit more about myself so i i grew up catholic and um I'd say, you know, didn't have a great experience, nothing to, you know, I, I take full ownership of that. Um, and in particular, like actually had a hard time with prayer and ritual. And through, you know, my own journey actually have come, you know, connected not only to the secular mindfulness movement that I talked about, but also to the Buddhist roots. And and in particular, I have studied in a, in a Tibetan Buddhist uh, you know, tradition that Ironically, someone is like probably the most um, ritualistic, so to speak. It's more most ornate. Like they've got these amazing 
you know, you, you've probably seen like the sand mandalas that these Tibetan monks make. They've got these amazing statues, tonkas, like huge paintings. And it was weird because I was drawn there and I was like, oh no, this, you know, this again, like what's going on yeah. here? Yeah. And I actually had some resistance initially. I was like, oh man, I don't want to deal with this again. Um, but luckily, since the philosophy part of it drew me, you know, made sense to me so strongly, I stuck with it. And over time, personally, have really transformed that relationship where, you know, to, so to cover the two pieces that I just talked about. So prayer, as you referenced, I I realized that it's just a it's just a form of meditation, exactly like you said. Yeah. It's yeah. it's more fluid in that you don't have like the 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 object in the terminology that I used earlier, the meditation object is uh, constantly changing. It's basically the words, but it's not the words themselves, but it's the feeling that's meant to be evoked by the words. Oh, that's interesting. Um, And so it's kind of, it's got this flow to it, but it's kind of like a a moving meditation, almost a little bit like yoga, where instead of like, hey, you're going to sit and hold this pose, more of like a a flow kind of yoga, so to speak, to, 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 to use that analogy some more. And it's like, oh, once once that made sense, I realized my previous, you know, difficult experience with prayer wasn't that prayer was flawed. It was that I didn't have a connection to what the words were actually evoking. They felt empty to me. And that's where actually the issue lied. Lay. Um, and then second with ritual, for me, again, it was kind of like, what's the deal with, you know, this and that object? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it just seems kind of arbitrary. And through, you know, through my own practice and study have realized, again, I was just missing the point, which is that ritual is only powerful to the point where the objects or whatever that the, the acts that are being carried out have carry a symbolism. That's really the key word to me, a symbolism um, of something deeper, of a concept, of a feeling, of a way of being. Um, and then once that connection is made, then all of a sudden ritual is not only understandable, but actually becomes really powerful because you start to build an association with, you know, uh, you know, a simple example, frankly, is, um, you know, I, I often encourage people to have a, a special place in their house to meditate and it doesn't have to have any statues or anything, but even if it's just a corner in your house where this is where I meditate, not technically a ritual, but it kind of is actually, maybe not yeah, yeah. what we usually think of, but it becomes like when at, you know, at that time of your day, you go to that part of your house, it's kind of a ritual. Mm-hmm. And the reason it's powerful is that, yeah, sure, we can talk about habit and stuff like that, but I actually believe that through, through the process, I don't know, there's probably some neuroplasticity involved here, but that place can actually start to have like symbolize a place of peace for you yeah and so not only is it important but on the days where you are feeling completely the opposite you know you're feeling frazzled crazy you can actually go to that spot and because you've had so many nice peaceful times there it's almost like getting a push you know getting like a wind you know wind at your back because you just have that associate, oh, okay, here I am. And whereas if you had just gone to a random place to meditate, it might be this this struggle, or you might just give up trying to rein your mind back in. You have kind of this 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 uh, power there. Um, 
so similarly, yeah, like with, with ritual, long story short, I felt like I realized I was missing the point. It was just me looking at the rituals as empty as opposed to really appreciating and living the symbolism that's there. That's really cool. Thank you for explaining that. That's interesting. Hey, change gears a little bit. So yeah. you are a dad. I am. As, as I mentioned, uh, tell me a little bit about your family. Tell me a little bit about like, you know, how and, and how does your work and your study and meditation factor into your life? Um, yeah. and then we'll just kind of dig in from there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And these topics are cl very closely tied together and so I think it's like the, you know, perfect po podcast for me to be on. Like, <laughs> awesome. You know, these are two topics that, that are so closely intertwined. Um, so I have, first of all, the great good fortune of, of having met my wife at a meditation center. Oh, cool. Uh, so not long after I went through that whole upheaval that I mentioned earlier, and, you know, largely due, you know, partially due to a really difficult breakup, you know, so there was about a year and a half where I was doing that soul searching. But when I started coming out of it, you know, literally months later, we met and, um, you know, within uh, three months we were engaged and a year later we were married. So it was, we just kind of knew. And, um, and so she's a fellow practitioner and, and, so like it's just kind of been at the foundation of my home life from day one and like i said i'm i'm it's it's an incredible uh good fortune to to be able to say that um and and so thus it's also been at the core of of how we parented um i would say that it, it's it's both present and not in our parenting and what i mean by that is it is absolutely present as a uh, foundational practice for us, and probably in ways that we we have we can we couldn't even connect, right? Like, of course, as you embark on a personal journey, you cannot you cannot imagine what yourself in a given situation would do had you not started on that journey. Let's say two, three, four years ago, right? Like, you can't roll back time and be like, oh yeah. And so I, I, I can't like it to me, they're almost inseparable other than to say that it's a big enough test. You know, I talked about going back to Microsoft as a test, but parenting, um, I don't want to try to comp compare them, but certainly equal, if not greater test just as a person to, um, to push yourself in a way that, you know, you would never yourself and, and certainly I think that's true from meditation from a spiritual standpoint however you want to think about it you know Leanne and I often talk about how before when we were just kind of dating or, or engaged we would be able to go to these meditation sessions teachings retreats whatever and we thought we were being all you know spiritual or whatever right and enjoying it um, and then we had kids and we were like oh this is like the real work you know, this is like where, you know, just like what I said with Microsoft, like this is where it really gets put to the test. Yeah. And and yet, so we were happy to have that foundation, but then there's also kind of this feeling of like, oh, this is like the real, like, of course, yeah. we can go and have a nice quiet weekend, but this is where the real work happens. Um, so definitely un, kind, of, kind of very closely tied in. Where it's, where it's not is really in... Um, kind of forcing my kids to meditate. Like I really, uh, for me, I think part of my experience growing up was having religion or spirituality kind of like, 
not sure. forced upon me, but it was kind of an obligation. And so I, I feel strongly I want them to come to it themselves. Um, and yet it's like it's in their environment, you know, like they, they see us doing it. They we, we go to a center where there's a kids class every week that I, I, mean, I taught for some period of time. And so they do meditate. But it's not like, have you meditated yet tonight? And <laughs> like brushing your like, teeth or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and yeah, I would say, you know, the, the biggest thing that I've seen, um, and I think this is one of those more just transparent things, is uh, how they how they deal with the world. I can see the impact, even though we haven't been super like hardcore about it. Um, and where that shows up is in in places like you know i remember once a few years ago my my daughter said you know it's like i'm i'm not doing you know i'm just having a really hard day and we asked her what was going wrong and she said yeah you know my mind is not just it's just not feeling peaceful or it's not feeling well and it was just this i was just like wow you know like she she understands you know what it took me like 26 years to have that aha moment that, oh wait my, i should pay more attention in here she just kind of has that like she's paying attention to what's happening inside her own mind inside her own heart and, and understanding as she grows up how that is related to her experience um how old was she to me it's like the foundation how old was she when she had that kind of uh, that's hard to say I, I probably i'd say eight or nine something like okay. that yeah interesting so yeah. You guys meditate, they see you meditate, they're aware of it. Yeah. Um, they know what daddy does, obviously. What do they think daddy does, actually? What's, if they told their <laughs> friends, what does daddy do? Yeah, that's funny, because actually they, we've tried to have this conversation and I realized how hard it is to explain like a corporate type job to a kid. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, so, it's so non-linear. Like they understand that Microsoft creates stuff. Like they see my Surface laptop or whatever, and they're like, "Okay, Microsoft creates that." But then they're like, "What do you do?" Right. And it's like, especially when I worked in engineering, it's like, "Well, I worked on this thing that gets packaged into this other thing," and and they're just like, "Okay." And how do you make money from that? Because to them, like, they're what they what makes sense to them is like going to the farmers market and sure. seeing like a farmer that grew these vegetables. You're, they're now handing you a piece of corn and you give them some money like they get that sure. um, and so in that sense like me as a my teacher persona let's say whether that's kind of in my personal realm or at work and, and now it's become more of my work life that makes sense when they get that they're like okay, okay you're providing but when I talk about like being a program manager or like helping to coordinate programs or got you know do customer stuff they're just like what i don't know what, what that yeah. means like, how how does that correlate to getting paid you know they <laughs> have no idea um and yeah they've been probably they're like yeah you you should they want me to become a yoga teacher and i'm like i don't know about that but i i realized part of it is like they just understand what that means yeah and, they, they get that yeah um, that makes sense my kids think i get things that say bang on them and then i give that to people like bugs <laughs> and notepads. They think that's literally my job. I give Bing things to people. I'm like, wow, it's a, it's a non-zero percent of yeah. my job, but that makes sense. So they know, they know what meditation is. They know it's part of your life. Yeah. One thing that we've been doing lately is um, doing like body scans, like yoga nidros that we find yeah. in Insight Timer. And I do want to talk about apps too, by the way, at some point. Yeah, like your, your for, sure. for the kids at night before bed, 
I don't know, but then <laughs> it becomes a fight about which one they're going to do and who gets to mm-hmm. pick which one. And so that's, that's nice. gone off the rails. You have to pull that back. But, um, but so, so I think you have an interesting perspective on this that like, cause I've been struggling with like, there's an app called mind Yeti, which is like just for kids and, mm-hmm. and, all, and meditation together and what have you. But so it becomes an interesting question of like, you're laying the groundwork of understanding of mindfulness and some of the things that you understand without necessarily giving them a, it as a chore. Yes. Would you recommend like, okay, person on this hell for me as advice, listen to this podcast, want to get in meditation, is digging it themselves and wants to bring it into their family. How do you, how do you recommend bringing meditation into, into a family? Yeah. Great question. I, I would say first and foremost is, um, modeling it i'll say this you know doing it yourself and and showing showing up differently not not i mean that that should happen naturally but um you know what i've seen is when people and i have so many stories about this when when people start meditating and they start changing and people closest to them start noticing it's like the best advertising you can do you don't need to tell people they're just like wow you're different a good friend who's who's like yeah his partner started first and she was really changing and and he was like whatever that is i i need to know and that that was his way his way in i remember another friend who had three young kids you know three kids under four and he was taking time to go to these meditation classes and he had all this guilt about he's like man i'm already away at work and you know, my partner's got to take care of the kids and, and she was there with him and she was like, no, no, like you go because when you come back, you're a much better dad. Yeah. You know, it's like the investment. And so, you know, that's first and foremost kind of like modeling it. Uh, I do think as long as it can be kept fun and kind of um, something they want to do and get that chore, I think it's a great word, get that chore feeling. If that's not on the table, and it feels like, yeah, this is something we do. Um, then I say, absolutely, yeah, build a routine. I've, um, we've, we've, we have had some at times in our family that, you know, as you know, that family life changes all the time. Yeah. Yep. You, know, you got to respect the phases that our kids are going through, and and you know, it's part of the beauty is is applying our own judgment to what is appropriate at any given phase. Um, and it gets more interesting with the dynamic with two kids, as you know. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I've had, you know, people tell me like, oh yeah, I started meditating and, um, you know, my kid would come in and ask me like, Hey, can I sit with you? Like that to me is like beautiful. Like that's the ultimate. Um, but yeah, even if you have to nudge a little bit as, as long as it and bedtime is a great time to, to do it. Um, and then in terms of what to do apps and that kind of thing, I really encourage people to, um, you know, absolutely explore them and I'd love to talk more about apps to the extent that I have some expertise there. Um, but I really encourage people to not feel scared about guiding your own meditations, especially with kids. That makes because, me nervous, Charles. I, like, so yeah, there's that reaction because it's yeah. like, qualified or what if I say something wrong? But first of all, you know, I would say, especially if you have some experience of listening to some and you see, you know, kind of the general script, but A, you know, usually meditations with kids are very short, um, but B, there's a real power to, it can be, maybe, maybe not, um, depending on your dynamic, but I think there can be a power to like you, you know, them hearing your voice as a parent, as they're falling asleep or they're trying to go through this exercise. Um, 
And I think it's also just a great empowering experience as a parent to like teach your kid or to guide your kid in that way. Um, and so, yeah, that's one last thing I'll just throw out there and, and you know, offer that up. That makes sense. I, I want to underline a couple of things you said that I like. So um, one was like the guilt of taking the time to do it thing. This is something I run into a lot and other dads yeah. and I have talked about this before. Like there has to be some kind of a work-life balance is you know, cliche. Uh, Bezos apparently says harmony, which I like is actually better than balance. Like these things work <laughs> together in some way, but some yeah. of that has to be taking care of yourself mm -hmm. uh, in some fashion. And, and so, you know, I know some guys that are like, I can't, I don't have any time. I don't want to give up time away from my family to take even 15, 20 minutes to go do this every day. Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, what, what I would say to anybody listening to is that like, my wife has said the same thing. I mean, she said, and I attribute a lot of this to you. So thank you. Like when we sat down and talked about our year, she said, the work that you've done on meditation and yourself has improved our entire family. And mm -hmm. so then it's like, oh, wow. So all this time that I took that I felt guilty that I'm not, you know, making waffles or, you know, playing with the kids actually was better for everybody involved. And these things can actually feed on themselves. So don't be afraid to like take the time to do it. Um, yeah, so I thought yeah. that was really cool. And yeah, you gave me a little kick in the butt on the, on the meditation thing. I had Dude, done this I, one. It was, it was a script I found somewhere. I don't remember where I heard it. Maybe it was a headspace one or something. It was like this idea of a, of a body scan of like, you're an empty jar and you're feeling warm liquid sunshine fill you up from your toes mm -hmm. all the way up. Mm -hmm. And then just do the body scan from that. And so the girls always, they call it the honey jar and daddy, can you do the nice. honey jar meditation? And, nice. and I stopped doing it for a while cause I felt weird about it. Um, but yeah, maybe I'll do it again. Thank you. That, that's yeah, a good shot. Um, so on the apps thing, so, you know, uh, Inside Timer is the one that you've published your meditations on. Inside Timer is free, which is cool, yes. and people can publish stuff, and so it's become kind of a community. Yes. There's Headspace is kind of the well, you joked about Mick Mick meditation, right? Like that's probably Mick the epitome. Of, yes, Mick mindfulness. That's probably the epitome of that, right? Um, if somebody's getting started, like yeah. okay, they come out of this podcast, they're fired up. Where's the first place you would point them at? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think uh, I actually wouldn't uh, necessarily uh, associate headspace with mindfulness. I think mindfulness has an aspect of like not having an appropriate amount of respect for where the or appreciation. Okay. And while headspace has been really successful, and of course, the more successful you are, the more you kind of get into that territory. The guy who started Andy Cuddycomb actually, I think, was even an ordained monk at one point in his life and actually left the monastery. So he's got a pretty, he's got pretty deep roots. Um, that said, you know, I think what you're getting at it is super, it's kind of like synonymous um, with meditation. And so, um, yeah, the distinction that I like to draw, so I think there's Headspace and Calm are kind of the two big yeah. players. Um, and then there's Insight Timer uh, and, and then many more. And so I don't have, as much visibility into the long tail. I, I typically talk about these three apps um, because they tend to rise to the top. Um, I, I see Insight Timer and uh, Calm as being very, very similar in that, um, hey, they're, they're subscription-based. There's, there's a certain amount of free content and then they basically try to get you into a monthly subscription. Um, and the second more important thing experientially is that they, um, they take you on a journey so you kind of get in day one and it's like, hey, welcome, click here and we'll, we'll 
you know, step one kind of thing. We'll do a three minute meditation. Um, very, very friendly, beginner friendly, like Headspace has these little animated cartoons and stuff. Um, and when I, when people ask me like, oh, how do I choose between them? I actually recommend because they're so similar. Like there's definitely some fringe features like Calm has a little bit more emphasis on sleep um, and stories and stuff. Whereas, you know, Headspace has some other stuff. Um, but to me, it's two things. One, because they're quite consistent. Like it's actually the same person. It's Andy for Headspace and it's um, a woman, I'm, I'm forgetting her name, for Calm. Like you may just like someone's voice more. And that's, that's in my book, that's plenty good reason to choose one. Um, the aesthetic in the app is very different. Headspace, a little cartoony, Calm's got kind of a nature-based thing going on. Again, totally reason, like whatever will get you there sure. more likely is perfect reason. Um, so both of them are, are, I think, great apps and are and doing actually great service in my mind to, to expanding meditation um, and, and worth the money if, if you want to go that way. Um, the reason I chose Insight Timer and tend to, to um, push it maybe a little bit more than, than commonly seen, some people, many people haven't even heard of it, um, is that it has a very different approach. They, they are in it, they're like, almost like an open source platform yeah. where they say, hey, if you are a teacher, come on over, give us your audio files, fill out a form, and yes, we're going to vet you, but we can be your platform. Um, and so that's how, you know, literally within a month or so, I was able to, you know, the initial cohort of Mindful Growth, I just gave people MP3 files and then <laughs> realized how foreign like that is to people now. It's like, but with Spotify, I just click the icon. Like, you mean I have to plug my phone into my computer? Like, oh, that's crazy. <laughs> um, and so the, for the second go around, I, I moved towards Insight Timer and was really pleased with how easy it was, how, how friendly they were to work with. Um, and so really they they have a huge, I think, you know, definitely over a thousand teachers published on the platform. Some of them are big names. Um, and I think John Kabat-Zinn might be on there, but definitely if you scroll through like authors and then you've got people like me who are like, you know, doing a corporate program or just, um, you know, uh, starting out. And um, so on one hand, it's, it can be intimidating. I think that's right. like there's no day one, like you have to search. It's kind of like the internet. Like you, you go and search, like I want something with sleep. And then there's some trial and error in terms of like, okay, this one, oh, this one's crap or this one's. But on the flip side, there's also an incredible amount of variety. You can find a meditation at, on any given moment at, at, on it, on just about anything. And so if you're willing to do a little bit more experimentation, a little bit more, um, choose your own adventure. The other great thing about um, uh, Insight Timer that drew me there was that they allow you to create groups. And so you can actually um, create groups. And we've got a mindful growth group, group as you know, uh, at Microsoft. And at, what it does is if you use it as a timer, even if you're not using any audio, and actually this was the roots of this app, was just as a meditation timer, no guided meditations at all. Um, at the end of the meditation, you get this nice little screen that's like, oh, people in your groups that were meditating at the same time or in your community. And so it kind of bolsters this um, community. Oh yeah, right. I'm not, I might be sitting here alone in my room, but I'm not alone in the grander scheme of things. Um, so it brings some of that community feel. Um, so yeah, it's, it's an interest, definitely an interesting, great to have selection. Like I said, I'm sure there's many more. 
Um, I know there are many more. Um, but the, the last thing I'll say about Insight Timer is that they've released some stats recently on their blog over on Medium that um, although they have a smaller number of users, if you look at just straight, straight downloads, they're like in the 1 million plus bucket, uh, at least on the Google Play Store versus 5 million plus for uh, Calm and Headspace. Uh, if you look at the number of med uh, minutes meditated in, in each app, actually, Insight Timer is far and away um, the leader. And so there's kind of this notion that, it, uh, you know, it's just kind of the favorite app for more experienced or people who are really doing it a lot. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so take that for what it's worth, I think it, you know, and then and you can also graduate, you know, you can say maybe start out on Headspace and then when you feel more comfortable, move on to Insight Timer. That's totally a viable route in my mind. That's exactly what I did. I started on Headspace before I did uh, yeah. my growth program. Went through the whole, the uh, onboarding, did a few other different, you know, sessions, courses, what have you. Uh, yeah. But was really sporadic about my usage of it. And then now I just, I live at Inside Timer. Like that's, that's you know, I'm poking around and doing courses there and different stuff there because so, it's just, you can find your own different, I just did one on, I'm starting one actually on timefulness. How, cool. to, how to be more like, because I'm terrible about managing time. So I'm like, okay, I think it'd be a cool thing to learn yeah. about, right? Now a word from K+. I don't know if you're like me, you take your kids to soccer and then they work their tails off on the field and some well-meaning parent hands them a sports drink, right? A traditional chemical-laced neon sports drink that's supposed to hydrate them, but is probably enough chemicals to hydrate an entire professional football team. So your little 60-pound kiddo is getting the same stuff as a 300-pound linebacker. Maybe that's not the best way to do that, right? But of course you can't exactly tackle them and knock that drink out of their hands. What if you had a better option? Let me tell you about K+. K+, was created by moms to offer a different option, right? A sports drink formulated with young athletes in mind, made with all natural flavors and coloring, containing only natural and organic sweeteners, and every drink contains key vitamins, minerals, and electrolytes. Plus, let's not be dumb about this, the bottle looks cool. Don't be silly about this. Kids like to be seen doing and holding cool things, and K-Plus is cool. So long story short, your kid is running, shooting, hitting, spiking, flipping, and kicking like a champ. You're already ahead of the game. K-Plus will help you keep it that way. So refuel the healthier way. Don't undo all the good they did on the field by giving them something that's not helping them be healthier. You can find K-Plus at kplusorganics.com or on Amazon if you search for K-Plus, K-P-L-U-S. It's also available at a lot of organic stores like PCC here on the West Coast. Check it out. I think you'll really enjoy it. So why don't you give us a quick you know, background uh, on, on your life and kind of what brought you to Microsoft and into meditation and where you are today? Um, yeah, that's a great question because actually how I, you know, my work life at Microsoft and how I came to meditation actually are tied together, as I told a little bit uh, in, in the Mindful Growth program. Um, I've been at Microsoft about 18 years and about three years in, I was having a real kind of crisis moment where I just jumped out of consulting into the core engineering groups, like the mothership at Microsoft. And uh, on one hand felt like, oh, yeah, that's where I really want to be. And then on the other hand was like, oh my goodness, like, I'm not equipped for this. You know, I felt like a small cog in a really huge machine. Um, that at th that time, and, and still to a certain degree now, um, 
you know, can feel really political, can feel really competitive, can feel not super supportive, you know. And I got to a point where I was coming home super stressed every day, um, you know, feeling like basically I wasn't cut out for Microsoft. Maybe I just needed to go do something else. Um, and then at the same time, I was going through some personal stuff, went through a really hard breakup. And through all of that was basically, you know, asking a lot of questions. And, you know, this is, gets back to one of the core things I try to impart in, in the Mindful Growth Program is that, you know, it's our biggest challenges in life often give rise to our biggest uh, times of growth because in, in some ways we have no choice very often other than to, to step up and this will probably tie really nicely into parenting actually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for me, it caused me to ask some questions about, you know, the nature of, of my life and, and uh, you know, uh, reality to, to kind of get cosmic for a second. But, um, you know, more specifically, I, I, I started getting a hold of some of the interested and, and into the tools available through meditation, kind of the idea but actually, there was some time when I still felt, when I initially felt like that was confirmation that I shouldn't be at Microsoft. It's like, oh, I, I really like hanging out with these people who meditate, you know, like that. That's totally not Microsoft. And it wasn't until a few months in where I was getting this teaching from this real guru <laughs> who, uh, in England who, uh, and he said, like, it was one of those times where it felt like he was talking directly to me. He said, you know, it doesn't matter what time, what kind of job you have. You can have a construction job. You can have a service job. You can have a computer job. And I was like, oh, that's me. And then he said, you know, you don't have to change the job that you have. You have to change the mind that you bring to your job. And for me, that was kind of an aha moment of like, oh, wait, here I am. Uh, you know, basically externalizing, blaming my stress on everything else. It's my manager, it's people around me, it's it's Microsoft, kind of this amorphous thing. Um, and I was not really taking responsibility or, or checking into kind of the degree to which my own mental state was was contributing to that process or to that experience. And the deeper I got, the more I realized actually that's that's almost a hundred percent or if, you know, I think in, in extreme places we could say, um, you know, your mind crew, you know, creates your experiencers a hundred percent, uh, has hundred percent power. And of course that that's not to say the, the circumstances aren't important. Of course they're influenced, but we have examples out there of people like Viktor Frankl, who, you know, can go through incredibly, um, horrendous uh, circumstances and still, you know, have a measure of dignity, a measure of, of uh, clarity and, and even peace, I would say. Um, and so anyways, that really kind of turned the tables on me and, and allowed me to come back to Microsoft um, instead of feeling like I needed to run away to be who I want to be. I started to, to see that Microsoft was actually exactly what I needed. You know, I could it's one thing to feel good on a kitchen on on a cushion, uh, a whole other thing to to feel good, to to be calm, to be clear, uh, to be compassionate in an environment where you're getting pushed, where there's deadlines, where there's disagreements, where there's pressure, all of that stuff. Um, and so Microsoft became kind of like a, a training ground for me. 
Um, and that was basically the mode that I, I was in for, for many years, actually still to, you know, to this day, it's a lifelong journey, as you know. Right. Um, but really for about 12 years, it was, it was in the closet. You know, I was like my secret weapon uh, coming to work and, and just trying to get better, you know, judging how my day went less about whether that project was successful or that meeting went well and more like, okay, did I, did I hold it together? You know, how many times was I just kind of flipping out in here, even if, even if I was calm out here um, and just getting better at that day by day. And, and of course it's not a smooth ride, but certainly over the years, I just noticed um, this, this growth and, and it was very rewarding for me. And then, you know, surprisingly somewhat, because initially it was just done to kind of survive really at Microsoft and kind of test this out it started to result in career success and I started to get, you know, promoted again and made, be made a manager and I started to enjoy work. Um, so it was really quite transformational. Um, and, you know, that kind of took me through 2016 or so, like I said, where it was to that point, pretty, pretty much a, a, a secret thing. Not that I didn't share for people that asked, but I wasn't kind of out there with it. And then um, 2016, you know, now close to three years ago, uh, things things shifted. You know, there's just uh, things just start to happen as as can can happen when it's time. Um, so the first was was Satya coming on board the company, right. and right. Um, you know, I've always been a little leery of like quoting CEOs. You know, as retirement <laughs> be a little cheesy, yeah. Out whatever, but I have to say just completely genuinely that I, I have an enormous amount of respect and gratitude for what he's brought to the company in turn and yeah, admiration for the courage that it's taken to, to talk about working there, talk about what it means so from a really human level, like talking about empathy, growth mindset, all of these concepts in a really genuine way. I just remember hearing him talk about some of this stuff and just having this feeling like, wow, it, He's really talking from his heart. It's not something that HR gave him to read right. off or whatever. He really believes this. And although I've never, you know, met him directly, uh, I feel like just the he, he lifted the ceiling for all of us, for people like me at the company to do the sort of work that I'm doing now, uh, which we'll get to. But it was just kind of that, that like, wow, something real is happening. How can I get on board? Uh, and then the second piece was really learning a lot more about the degree to which mindfulness and meditation was getting um, scientific backing uh, yeah. in the scientific community in particular, as well as being used in corporate environments. Um, and in particular, learning about the Search Inside Yourself program at Google, which at that point had been around for close to 10 years and had since kind of um, had uh, been been spun off into the Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute, but also had had uh, other tech companies and also non-tech companies take similar roads. Um, companies like Aetna, Salesforce, still kind of in the minority, but definitely kind of this building wave. And it just felt crazy to me that Microsoft was not really in this in this discussion. And as I looked around and didn't find anything central, big that we were investing in, I kind of had this again aha moment of like okay if, if i'm not going to do something about this as someone who's 
um, practiced at that point for over 12 years and had been teaching in kind of a personal context for over 10 years. Um, you know, who else? I could be the only person at Microsoft who who is kind of ripe to do this. Um, and that's what set me off on the path to write the proposal, which is uh, now put up on my LinkedIn. And eventually was actually initially intended to be an internal proposal to some HR leaders in Windows where I was working as um, an engineering lead at that time. And, um, you know, from there, like it was kind of like the first domino fell and, and it just has kept on going. So I went from there to uh, basically getting agreement to run a pilot and um, that led to the about a three month intensive um, period of time where I was designing the program. Uh, so I, I wanted to make it a uh, an investment for people. So as you, as you know, it's nope. not a small time commitment. <laughs> nope. um, and I've gotten a lot of feedback about that and, and we'll continue to think about it. But the intention going in was really just this knowledge that um, all of this stuff, mindfulness and, and all of its associated uh, practices and outcomes, uh, knowing about it intellectually has no value. Uh, it only is worth something if someone feels something, if, they, if they're like, ah, my day went differently, that, that interaction with that person, how I feel at the end of the day, whatever it is, something shifts. Uh, and, and that takes some sustained practice that takes some a container in which to kind of like get over the hump. And for some people that happens quickly, for some people it takes longer, of course, some people never, never get there. And that's, that's okay too, or maybe they come back to it in, in at another point in life. Um, but to me, kind of creating this eight module program initially uh, run over eight weeks, I think when we did it, it was 10, 10 or 11 weeks was to say, okay, I want people to be able to go to the beginning and say, okay, I'm going to do something differently, not just show up to these classes, but also do my best to have a daily practice. And, and my goal was at the end of that eight or 10 or 11 weeks for people to, uh, to feel like, okay, I've not only do I have the knowledge, but I've got, I've got the experience. I know what this can do for me um, experientially, because that's priceless, right? As you know, right. Right. you can, someone can convince you intellectually of anything, but when you know, like, this is valuable, then that, that's really all that matters. Um, and so then that, you know, the initial pilot really started another chain reaction, which was like, okay, what am I really doing with my career? Because at that point, I had done it as a side job to, as I said, a program manager lead in, in the um, engineering teams and kind of started really raising the question about like, okay, is this, is this uh, something I need to consider uh, you know, really disrupting my career in a, in a, in a significant way for? And, um, you know, luckily for me, I think uh, having those years under my belt really helped me to listen closely to that. I think hopefully you've experienced this of um, something that that these practices can help you do is really sort out. You know, we're all just such a myriad of feelings at any given time, especially when we are, you know, think about big things like changing our career or whatever the case may be. Um, and mindfulness really allows us to rather just seeing it as a big jumble to start to tease out, okay, what's re what's really happening in there? And through that, I was able to really feel that, oh yeah, there there is this really important pull 
that I'm feeling towards this work. And I need to listen to that. And, and yes, there's a bunch of fear saying, well, what about all the years you've invested into engineering and so forth? Um, but I could see that that had more of the quality of, of fear and, and not uh, wisdom, we could say. And so it, it's to be acknowledged, not not ignored, but but also to say, like, hey, I know that's that you can go in your place kind of thing. Um, and so through that, I just really just kept pulling on the thread and, and um, through the HR team in Windows was led to a global learning team um, at Microsoft that runs employee programs and just started basically telling them about my work and they got excited. Um, and we started talking about uh, a role and, and uh, it took a little bit of time to just get all the pieces aligned, lined up, but um, through 2018 and through this process, I had also decided to embark on a, a master's program at Lesley University in, in mindfulness studies, which is a very unique program, um, mostly online. Um, but I really want to kind of bolster my knowledge in the neuroscience and so forth of, of mindfulness. And so I had plenty going on anyway without starting a new job. And, um, you know, just one of those, I had so many signs along the way that I was on the right path, uh, just with the, you know, the universe or synchronicities or however you want to connect with that concept. But it's definitely alive for me. And, uh, you know, I literally handed in my master, my final master's thesis. Uh, on a Sunday and a Monday, this is just this past December 2018, the next day I started this new role uh, awesome. in the global learning team um, at Microsoft. And basically, yeah, that's where I am today. So yeah, that was a really big question and kind of a long answer, but- um, Oh, that's exactly it. Hopefully it came all together. It totally did. So cool, okay. So that's, you know, we, I, we banged through most of the stuff that I, I wanted to get cool. through. Um, you know, I did want to talk to you because just is just we talk about tech usage a lot because it's just yeah. life. Like, how do it, maybe we can close with this? Like, how do you think about yeah. technology usage for you and for your kids? Yeah, uh, both. Like, and they can be separate, right? Because do as I say, not as I do is often a parenting tactic I run into. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. A great, great place to close. Technology is, a, I mean, we've grown, we've grown up with technology, we made our careers in technology and um, definitely had a lot of time to reflect. So a lot of my engineering career was was centered around two incredibly powerful technologies um, in our generation. Uh, one was mobile, so I worked on Windows Phone for seven years. Uh, and then the second is the web. So I worked either building web apps or web browsers for basically my whole software engineering career. Um, probably the two most transformative technologies in in our in our generation, you know, at least until AI oh, takes yeah. jobs away. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, and it was interesting for me to kind of just reflect on, um, you know, the web's a great example of kind of this uh, maybe early in my career, kind of this uh, naive optimism of like, oh, it's going to be amazing when when there's this free flow of information and people can just find the truth like anywhere like it's gonna like it's gonna definitely make the world a better place uh and then of course seeing where we are now whatever 20-ish years later and yes like there's definitely been a lot of good but um but there's also you know as we've seen with you know the russia thing or 
um, you know, privacy, you know, you name it, disinformation, you know, just anything that can be used for truth can also be used for to dis disseminate disinformation. Um, and so that's kind of landed me at this place where I, I'm really trying to take, um, which can be hard at a technology company, but take this really pragmatic view towards technology, which is one on one hand, really appreciating the amazing things it allows us to do, like to be productive here at home, uh, to have these incredible supercomputers in our pockets that we can just whip out and get directions or look up anything, um, while also really being wary of kind of the, the dark side, you know, to, to use a Star Wars phrase, I guess. Um, you know, and just like, just be, be mindful of, you know, where is it tipping over? Like at what point is pulling my phone out of my pocket really needed? Really like what I need to do right now versus just a habit where I'm so used to being able to find anything out right now that I'm just gonna do it. And it's just, you know, it's just a habit that is maybe taking away from just being in a moment with my kids, with you know, driving or whatever, having a moment of peace. Um, and so that's kind of where I am personally. And I, I definitely do not claim to perfect this anyway, but you know, there's a, speaking of things you can find a bunch of material on, there's great stuff out there on digital detox. Um, Ariana Huffington, has has I think she wrote a book about sleep quality and stuff that has a lot to do with this but yeah. you know just to me plugging your phone in in a different room an hour before bedtime is just so powerful um you know I could go down go down the list you know I've really kind of basically cut social media out of my life but that's that's a more controversial one but there's a guy named Cal Newport who wrote a book called Deep Work um yeah who's actually not a mindfulness advocate at all, but it's very closely related. He talks a lot about having the space to have really creative thinking and, and how that's contrary to a lot of the stimulus that we get. Um, so that's kind of where I am at personally. Uh, in terms of how, how it affects my kids, um, we've kind of consciously gone a down a fairly luddite kind of approach to parenting um in that um our kids actually go to a school it's a type of education called waldorf that that probably not many people are familiar with uh, but it's based on um someone named rudolf steiner who you know in the 20th century kind of he was one of these people who just came up with all sorts of stuff, you know, from farming to education to kind of the whole philosophy. But um, part of how his schooling has come out in in around the world is um, in in these schools, and and they come, you know, to sign your kid up at this school comes with some strings attached. Actually, you you are implicitly agreeing to things like. Um, not sending your kid to school with um, characters, commercially created characters on them, uh, to um, significantly restrain or, or prevent actually um, access to technology and media before the age of seven. So that includes not just you know video games, but also movies, um, yeah, surfing the internet and so forth. So no devices for them. Um, and, and 
they're very clear about the thinking behind it. And of course, it's your it's it's your option to to sign up. But we we it really spoke to us. Uh, and their reasoning is really to allow kids to cultivate their imaginations. Um, and just even the idea of if you put, let's say, Darth Vader in a kid's mind through a movie, then when they play, they're going to be Darth Vader, wow. simplified, uh, which is fine. There's some still some some degree of imagination, but uh, you've probably noticed this with your kids too. Like there is this like their their imaginations at a young age are amazing, and what I've seen with my kids is that in the absence of you know cultural influence, they create their own worlds. And, you know, all of their, um, their <laughs> we, stuffed animals, we call them their snuggle friends. Like they all have these lives, like these, they're like living creatures in our house. Like we talk about, uh, you know, Miss Ducky, for example, as like a person in our family, you know, because they've got, and they've got all these different, you know, some of them are best friends, some of them. They've like, all got like a backstory. And, yeah, yeah. And it's awesome. amazing. Like they'll sit around, they've got amazing attention spans. They'll create like report cards for all of their snuggle friends anyway um and so it's been really amazing to watch and for me i think part of my process of getting into meditation has also been for me recruiting you know, you know i do a whole module in mindful growth on creativity yeah. and that was really kind of a personal thing for me because i felt like um especially going down an engineering um career path i uh, it's like i lost my my imagination my creativity somewhere along the way. And just for me, really reappreciating, re I think, especially in the age of AI, you know, to bring that theme back in, that ultimately, like we, whatever job we're doing, even for writing code, we're doing sales, like there is this creativity that is demanded of us to really innovate, do new things, not just like doing the job at hand. And so I really wanted them to have the experience of like, hopefully carrying that through in, a way that wasn't there for me for me it felt like okay i lost it somewhere away and now i have to like rebuild it like i almost felt like something like visualization yeah you know i teach about that i felt like i can't visualize and then i realized like everything else i know i'm just out of practice and that's been a really powerful piece of my own journey um but anyhow back to the kids and so the nice thing other thing about this program and the way we've tried to, to implement it at our house is that it's not forever we don't want we definitely won't don't want kids who like can't you know are either grow up to be um, angry at us because we like Kept didn't let stuff. them like appreciate the modern world uh, or watch movies or anything like that. But now, so now we watch movies. We have family movie night, just like a regular family. But it's more like it's more measured. They they kind of get the place in their life. Um, the other thing with with technology for me. And this is very much a personal thing. Like I learned computers when I was over 10 and I had a whole career in software engineering. I just don't, I don't see it as something that necessarily starting earlier is somehow going to help you and a kid in the long run, like my kids. So I'll speak personally. Like, I think we have this kind of culture around like earlier is better. Like I need to get my kid ready for Harvard. Like when they're two and a half by like, you know, I don't know, doing math quizzes with yeah, them or yeah. that. Um, anyway, much bigger debate and, and not even a debate. I, I tend to treat it as just an interesting discussion because who knows, like it's it's a very, as you know, the beautiful thing about parenting is we get to decide and, and 
choose uh, what's right for our own kids and there's no yeah. right or wrong answer. But for me, where I've landed personally is to really, I think to the extent that's realistic, of course, I want my kids to be successful and go to college and stuff, but to the extent that it's, it's possible to lift some of that early pressure off them and really try to allow them as much as possible to be kids and like enjoy the imagination, enjoy not having deadlines and, and having to be something before they're ready. And just, yeah, it's, there's a bit of a leap of faith that, um, you know, I think especially in the way the economy is heading with, you know, the gig and all this stuff, just, uh, I think I read a stat somewhere that, I, I don't know, I'm not going to quote the exact percentage because I'll probably get it wrong, but some significant percentage of the jobs that's going to exist when our kids grow up don't even exist yet. Like we don't yeah. even know what they are because in the same way we didn't know that, I don't know, being an Uber driver is going to be a job like 10 years ago. Right, right. And so to me, like I want to prepare them with kind of the the most foundational, more like character um, tools as opposed to like, okay, I'm, we're going to like turn you into a coder or whatever um because who knows maybe maybe machines will be coding for us <laughs> in the yeah, future. that's a reasonable um, assumption yeah um so anyways that's that's again <laughs> you get me talking and, and I, no man that's awesome you, and, and i took some notes on some of this particularly the waldorf school stuff i'm going to look into some of that and i'm going to have yes. a lot of this in the show notes as well on, cool. the, on the show so well, why don't we go ahead and wrap up then, man? Thank you, Charles, yeah. so much and for your time here, but also, and not to get all cheesy on you, but literally like you, your program changed my life and my family. And I can't thank you enough for that. So I appreciate you taking the time to chat today and I appreciate all you've done. Yeah, I'll just say there's no bigger compliment than that. And and it's absolutely my pleasure and, and all the best to you, to you and your family. And I look forward to keeping in touch. And like I said, I think you hit on like all of my favorite topics today. So <laughs> maybe we can revisit it again at some point. Yeah, we'll, we'll I hope you'll get something out of it. Thanks right, a lot. Man. Yeah, have a great day.